You're listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. Oneofus.net and all of the shows on it are 100% subscriber supported. Please consider becoming a subscriber to oneofus.net. Keep the site and all of our great shows going and get some terrific bonus content as well. Digital noise. Digital noise. Digital noise. Aaron is joining me this week on Digital Noise, where we review all the home releases. Well, at least the ones we can convince them to send. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. All. And boy, do we have a wacky stack of movies. You know, this is honestly one of the more, I'll say, interesting stacks. I've had since I started doing this show. You know, I was the I just recorded another digital noise earlier today with John Golson, uh, and I described it's an interesting stack. And he goes, "Yeah, I would definitely say it's interesting." I was like, "Yes, much in the way that as the Chinese curse, <laughs> may you have an interesting stack of titles to review on John, uh, on on digital noise." This is better than the stack that I had with him. I I, I hope so. I mean, but I don't know. These are. Most of these are legit and at the very really? least unique. unique. Yeah. I mean, unique. there's one or two here that I actively fucking hate. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We'll get to yeah. That. Actually, that's that's about right. Yeah. Why don't we start with one of the ones I actively fucking hate? Oh, let's see if it's one I hated too. I, I, uh, I bet you I know what it is. Okay. It's Rambo Last Blood. Oh, fuck. Yes. Man, what is happening, guys? What? Look, I get it. You can't let a franchise die. Sylvester Stallone doesn't need the money at all. All right. Period. But the last film, Rambo, which doesn't I, hold up as well over time, but was certainly a decent enough yeah. ending to the series. I legitimately maintained that with Rocky and Rambo... You could watch the first and the last movie, and you have two great series. Because mm-hmm. I legitimately enjoy the first Rambo, and I, granted, I haven't watched it in like four or five years. I enjoyed Rambo. The first one is, uh, I would argue, that even, they came out. I would even go so far as to call the first one kind of a masterpiece. I, I agree. I got into a shouting match with a college professor over that when I was in college. It's a great fucking movie. The second one is silly as fuck. The third one is terrible. And the one just called Rambo is the second it, best of the it, series, it, it's, at the very least. If not, it has least. good qualities. But people it, can tell me they hate it. I get it. It's deeply flawed but, as fuck. But yeah. it's definitely the best made of the uh, of the sequels. In Unlike many ways. this movie, which is so right off the bat when the movie was announced, it was like you're making a movie where so. Eh, Let's get into the plot. So John Rambo, off the heels of part four, is in his Texas ranch. And it's been a few years since he destroyed all of Burma. I think. Uh, And he now... He shaved Burma. (laughs) He is... (laughs) Uh, He is helping raise a Hispanic teenage girl who had a shit dad and... Her grandmother, and they're just kind of all living together. Yeah, like, somehow he ended up in a thing where, like, his, I guess, like, his old friend 
has a granddaughter, and he has basically been a father figure yeah. to her because the mom's dead, and the father is a complete piece of shit yeah. that is long since that she's never met and and lives in Mexico. But so, so she basically does what you do when you leave high school and you don't really know your parents. You try to identify where you came from. And goes off on this journey of self-discovery to Mexico to meet her deadbeat dad, who is basically a deadbeat dad who doesn't care. That, yeah. that, that's it. Who literally uh, tells her, the, I don't care about you, fuck off. Yeah, that's that is that's as far as that goes. And she is captured by human sex traffickers. Yeah, let me mention, she went down there to stay with an old friend of hers who used to live where she was living in, I guess, Texas. Sure. Uh, and she, But now is in Mexico. She's like, yeah, you can come down and stay with me. I'll help you. And who has had a, a secret plan the whole time because she's a piece of fucking human yeah, garbage. Yeah, tur- turns her into the who, sex traffickers. Who, who, uh, turns her into, tr- tricks her into being kidnapped by sex traffickers where she is sex trafficked. And, uh, and basically... Not even the darkest thing that happens in this movie. Nope. <laughs> and, and Rambo, like you do, he tries to rescue her. Things go poorly. Um, he ends up going after the cartel itself and... Inviting them to come and act revenge upon him in his home alone. It turns into a sort of like, yeah, why don't you come get me at my ranch, which is filled with tunnels and traps and what have you. First of all, let's just, let's touch on the fact that in 2019, when this movie was made, making a movie about a white American traveling to Mexico to kill bad Mexicans is not a wise move. Yeah, there's one good Mexican character in this whole thing. Well, two if you count her grandmother and both of them live in America. Uh <laughs> there I I've, I've been debating whether or not to spoil one thing about this movie and it happens at the midway point and let's not spoil that. But they they do something with a character that just aggravated the hell out of me it, and then the, it takes the wind of out of the entire yeah film. It, it it just it's bad and then the movie as it builds into an action climax it's unfortunately the worst filmed rambo as well so even if you separate the controversial topic and the really poor setup and lame characters the action just isn't good it's like, you can tell they shot some stuff and shot some good gore sequences, but the director either didn't know how to stitch a film together or their editor was just really bad. I don't know who, but somebody screwed up. It's weird. It's this a mess. Directed by Adrian Grunberg, who has weirdly all but ex- has worked largely with Mel Gibson throughout his career, who, d- who the directed gringo. the very surprisingly good Get the Gringo. Yeah, which I liked. Um, he did uh, Edge of Darkness with him and Apocalypto as first assistant director on those films, uh, as well as uh, Wall Street Money Never Sleeps, which was wildly unnecessary. Yeah. But not a guy who should be incompetent as directing as it seems to be Which, when watching this film. This is just a mess. This is borderline unwatchable. It's the worst Rambo movie in my opinion. There is one good scene in this whole film. What was it? And it's the first Mexican guy, trafficker guy he catches up to. And it's only because I'm a fucking horror movie guy that it, it's just so has not been a horror type thing. Oh, and there's, mean- he reaches into this guy's fucking collarbone with his fingers and just pulls out his collarbone okay, with his what? fingers and starts bending it and breaking it. And I'm like, Jesus fucking Christ. You're right. That was cool. That's <laughs> fucked up. It's You're like watching it squirming going, what the fuck, dude? And then it never hits that again. Yeah, it never. It, I a, mean, all the rest of it is movie. just like 
this is dumb and and like it, it it's completely badly intentioned and it's kind of borderline racist and it's there's no reason for this movie to exist. No, it, it, pr- just forget it exists. Enjoy your Rambo if you like that sort of thing, life. which has always been a a really outside of the first one, a very flawed and unnecessary series of sequels sure. to a original really great which film is, about mm-hmm. Vietnam veterans who came back and were had trouble fitting back into society it's really weird the way rambo has gone as a franchise considering how emotionally effective its root is so here's the weirdest part about this release which is being put out on 4k and blu-ray right so there's only two supplements there's a almost hour-long drawing last blood multi-part production diary which is the behind the scenes making of and there's from first note to last blood music for the maskers which is 17 minutes on the composer really um, there is a huge sequence of this film that was made completely filmed, shot, finished and shown to audiences that was at the beginning of this with him saving hikers during a flood. What? Yeah. Like there was a whole scene where he's like, grab this girl and they've strapped her to a tree and the flood is coming down through them while they're holding on. I mean, there's like a big expensive sequence. Why isn't that in here as an extra feature? Okay. Yeah. Very weird. weird. Very weird. Maybe they're putting together a big set. I really, yeah. I mean, I guess. I mean, they have like they not that long ago put together a set of Rambo one through four, and and that are not four K. But I I don't believe. uh, Although I think they put out one and two on four K separately. But because who really gives a shit about three? But like putting out the Russians. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Whatever. This is bad. Don't watch. Don't watch it. Don't watch it. If you like the Rambo films, and even if even if you like three, don't don't watch watch this one. Especially if you like the Rambo films. Can we talk about stuff that's a lot better than that? And not even like the best thing ever, but like anything at this point is going to be better than that. Although there is a film in the set I like less. Rambo is not the worst movie I saw. No, (laughs) Uh, but this is not one of the bad ones. It is a 2019 uh, television miniseries called The Loudest Voice, which follows Roger Ailes, who was the the founder of Fox News, uh, based on the 2014 book The Loudest Voice in the Room by Gabriel Sherman, who is deeply involved in the production of this film apparently <laughs> and uh, the bonus feature features make very clear that he was like this is basically yeah, a promotional video for his book uh, and, but but it's you know i mean it's a, it's a what is it three part series i think uh it is seven part series or no, why did I say three? You're no idea. Right. Seven part series <laughs> with some actual surprise directors. Stephen Frears, huge well, director, comes so, in directs part seven or six, and Scott Z. Burns directed it, part seven. Quality directors. The cast is great, um, and for those, who, so this is something that's kind of impossible to talk about without talking about the politics of the day right now. Yeah. Um, so Roger Ailes, for those who don't know, he started Fox News, um, famously raped nearly every woman he's ever worked with he's a terrible or at least human, tried to terrible human being I mean, raped in the terms of pressured yes. them through or, sexual or sexually assaulted yeah um so he started fox news launched it to be the highest rated cable uh entertainment channel in the world and and notice he said entertainment yeah yeah they are not a journalist uh show that they are actually classified as entertainment but whatever that's I mean, a different discussion that's that, yeah, um, that's not so that's not the opinion that's a it, fact ails um directly uh helped the trump campaign get him into office 
so Ailes is largely responsible for Trump being our president right now. Uh, he also, right around that same time, is when it all came out that he had been sexually assaulting women for decades. And thankfully, he died shortly after. Mm. And so what this show is, is each episode takes place, it kind of summarizes a year in the life of Ailes. A it different is, era. And, like, the first episode is them actually getting Fox News off the ground. Which we should say is Russell Crowe playing it, it is Russell under Crow a lot of latex. In uh, a Roger stellar, award-worthy performance. Um, and I believe they, they, nominated. Didn't he get nominated I in don't the Golden know. Globes? I hope he did. I want to say it got nominated. Uh, but, yeah, it has been, it's been nominated yes. for a number of awards, not just Golden Globes, but Critics' Choice Television Awards, Satellite Awards, Screen Actor Guild Awards, Writers Guild of America Awards, uh, that uh, for various different things, this yeah. was nominated. And for. so each episode takes place like in a different era, uh, which works to its detriment in certain areas and its benefit in others. Um, I was really into the first half of the show because it's a lot more about getting Fox News off the ground. I I was a journalism major in school, like uh, television journalism. So I geek out over that shit. Mm. Watching how they got Fox News off the ground and how they explicitly targeted the 50, the 40 to 50 percent of the country who are conservative was really interesting. And also, that's the era that because we don't have as much sexual harassment that was coming out, it's also like it's it's touched on. You're if you know what happened, you can see that that's what's happening. Yeah, but it's also not a prevalent story point until we get into the final three episodes, where it becomes increasingly about that. Well, see, okay, and, so one of my criticisms of Bombshell, which is a movie that came out this year about one of the about the same situation, is that it so exclusively is about the harassment, which is a very important thing to discuss. But it's only the tip of the iceberg of the problem with Roger Ailes and yeah. Fox News. And I spent that whole movie going, you guys are literally dodging and weaving around the other equally dark, I would argue even darker and more fucked up parts than the sexual harassment that was going on there with them. Of the shit that this guy did that affected America yeah. on the whole. Our entire system it. that's still doing it. And this show makes an attempt to do it while still not being luxury about it. Well, and- uh, I, uh, Russell Crowe makes the smart decision to play Ailes as a guy that at least first, despite his opinions, feels like somebody you'd still want to go have a beer with. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting how his monster aspect comes out as the later, as the show progresses. Because you're right. In the beginning... Like, it makes no bones about the fact that he is blatantly manipulating the truth for ratings. He said, uh, but people don't want to be informed. They just want to feel like they're being yeah. informed. But it also display it shows him as somebody who realizes he's slinging bullshit and lying through his teeth, but just doesn't care, which, strangely enough, I'm okay with. Mm. But as the show goes on, him and his eventual wife, who was his business partner. Played by Sienna Miller. Uh, what? Yeah. Wearing a lot of makeup and latex eventually as the show goes on. Whoa. I know, they're absolutely gorgeous Holy knockout hell, Sienna Miller. I had no idea. Yeah. Um, but, like, 
you see that he basically drinks his own Kool-Aid. Yeah. Uh, but that's actually the flaw that I had with the show is that as it went on and became more about the sexual harassment and became more about like his life kind of falling apart, as much as those are inherent to the story, and I'm glad it, it really showed those characters in a nuanced way, it's brutal as hell to watch. Oh, yeah. The, the scenes of sexual harassment are so uncomfortable and awkward and painful as they should well, especially be. Especially the one character who really had grody. been a journalist early on who he basically had trapped yeah. for years in a, you, you realize that you will never work in this industry again unless you continue to f- surreptitiously fuck oh, me whenever how about, I say to. You know, the line that broke me was when she finally goes, Look, I'm going to kill myself if I have to keep doing this. Like, it is breaking me. He went, cool. You don't have to do this anymore. You have to find your replacement. (laughs) Yeah. And, like, so here, this is an absolutely worthy show. And honestly, because Roger Ailes drinks his own Kool-Aid, it's almost a show that if you're kind of a conservative but not a diehard crazy person, you could probably watch this and still be okay with it. It is definitely more liberal leaning, but um, I mean, the, the, the problem I ended as up they having say, the facts are liberal. Yeah, <laughs> the, the problem I ended up having with it, and I was telling you this earlier when we were talking, is that I wanted this to be about Fox News with Roger Ailes in it, and it's about Roger Ailes with Fox News in it. I just think how this entertainment network has gone on to become one of the most influential television stations that has changed the course of our human history planet yeah forever like and continues to in uh, a negative fashion yeah like, like that is a f- profoundly interesting story and that's the story i want to see not the story of this evil, horrible, perverted human being. And, 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 yet, so like, and yet much more I'm so torn. than much more so than Bombshell, and that's my problem yeah. with Bombshell, is that this is so much of a bigger story than just this part of it. This is just one I, part of this big, terrible story that needs to be told more and louder. This at least is saying Fox News is Roger Ailes, and Roger like, Ailes is Fox News, and this is the reasoning behind why Fox News is the the terrible, influential, human history-changing <laughs> institution I, it is, is because of Roger. I, I guess what I'm saying is, this is wonderful television. This is a story absolutely worth watching. If you are even a little bit interested, watch this. And now somebody needs to go make a documentary about Fox News, because I want to know more. There are multiple documentaries about <laughs> Fox News, for the record. Uh, but um, I, I really enjoyed this, too. I think it's really great. I don't. I think at points it gets a little too soapa, soapy at yeah. points. Um, but old, it's... I, I mean, certainly I'm not going to pretend that it has the cinematography of something like Bombshell, which is actually a very pretty movie at points in the way it's shot it has some great performances in it but bombshell once again it has real really serious script problems and this on the whole doesn't and here's the worst thing about this which was like just as a concept so i I, 
after I was done with this, I went online and I was checking out other reviews. And anytime you have something that is inherently political and yeah, you're gonna based get- off truth, you get a lot of people doing the, you know what, this is propaganda. This is bullshit. So much of this is a lie. How do you know that these two characters had this private conversation? And you know what? Those are valid complaints because I'm sure there's a lot that was... Like the flavor was made up. Like, yeah, we know these two. Well, you him have and his, to if you're telling a narrative. You, you know, his wife and he had a conversation after it was revealed that they had evidence. However, the vast majority of this is just—it's factual. It well, is no, that's recorded is, history. I can't think of anything. Occurred. I can't think of anything in here that this is based in, based on 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 spitballing what could have happened. That suggests something that really bad about the guy that isn't a known fact. Yeah, that, that's the thing. It's you all know, it's, it's all, all it's all color the, around all it, happened. as opposed to stuff we know happened. It, especially the the really horrific kind of globally reaching impact of Fox News and how they targeted it. Yeah. Like that is on record. We know this. It is. It's a fascinating. The watch. weirdest thing about this set. Like, which is about such a complex subject, is that it only comes with one bonus feature, yeah. which is under five minutes, which is a nothing EPK you know, it, piece. It doesn't Showtime do that though? Showtime is like Netflix; they don't tend to put a ton of special features. On Why would stuff? anyone buy the home release if you're not making extra features for it that are like notable? I will never understand that strategy. Why even bother? Doing a home you know release what? If you're not, it, it's do the that. way DVDs go nowadays. When they first came out, it was a big thing. We have X number of hours now. It, it, bare bones is kind of becoming the thing. Well, not, not for everyone. Exists. I mean, we still have Criterion and Arrow yep. and lots yep. of companies like that that are all about building up lots of stuff. <laughs> and we have people that are more about, hey man, just we're the one company where you can get this from. Uh, that you can't see anywhere else, like WellGo USA, which specializes very much in bringing over films from Korea and China and Japan that are new release films more often than not, that this is the one place you can see them here. And they do them fast. I remember what it used to be like of reading about big films that I was dying to see, and it would take four years to get a version here. Now WellGo puts that shit out three months after they come out in the theater over overseas. And, and, and I know we, what you're building up to, and uh, I, I'm really happy. And now we have The Night of Shadows. <laughs> so on this show, we have talked a lot about wuxia films. And wuxia films are like Chinese fantasy uh, films that are usually loosely based on real life people <clears throat> yeah. or uh, b- mixed around with mythology. I, 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 but I where call everyone them historical fantasy yeah, with in quotes, quotes, air quotes yeah. because like technically they're historically based, but like it, it's kind of like their Lord of the Rings. Yeah. It's it's complete mythology based on based very loosely around the actual mythology based very loosely around a person who actually existed. Yeah. And this is no exception. The one difference with this film that in many ways is just another of these recent Hong Kong wuxia films is that it's the only one ever with Jackie Chan in it. Right. I don't think Jackie Chan's ever been in a wuxia film before this that I can think of. So fun fact, uh, my au pair, as I've said before, is from oh, China. I, mean, I was waiting for this. Yeah, yeah. This is why I wanted you to take this. Film. So uh, just to let you guys know, in China, they hated this movie. They did. They totally hated it. It got reamed. Having said that, 
I liked the hell out of this. This was a lot of fun. It is so Jackie Chan plays, and I'm gonna have to look at the disc. Uh, and let me be clear: Who Song Lin? This is much more so than your average film like this, directed entirely at children. Yeah. So, th- so that's one thing. This is a kids' film. My son, when I watched this, he watched the last third of this with me and loved it. And well, he was half asleep, but yeah, he loved it. So uh, Jackie Chan's character is. He's this old guy who basically kind of gathers spirits and demons for the nearby villages and (laughs) takes care of them so they don't bother the villagers, but also basically makes his living selling stories of the crazy wild mythic adventures he did when he was a younger man to the children of the day. And so the movie begins with this outlandish action sequence with them chasing a fish with muscle man arms, with bad CG through an ocean, with demon uh, a demon vine house and a little flower floating. Like it's By the way, can I say that like right out of the at gate crazy at insane. least half of the modern Hong Kong wuxia heavy CG films start with them chasing some sort of undersea demon. Yeah, fair I enough. don't know why, but they almost all start that <laughs> And way. so the movie quickly falls into them investigating with a Sherlock Holmes-esque character because, again, Chinese cinema seems very into Sherlock Yeah, they t- like the detectives. Yeah, and so they're tracking down this demon who is hunting and kidnapping women well, another guy who is this third-party, random, vagabond-esque character is also hunting down this demon for his own reasons. You know, he seems to want to help Say, her. like, there's also, there's this character who is a, a new policeman. Yeah, he's and the his, Sherlock Holmes. And his police, like, his, he's the young guy, but his boss is like, whatever, you're full shit, nobody wants you here, nobody likes you, go away, nobody believes your wild theories, and he ends up sort of getting attached to Jackie Chan in a sort of like, you know, a wacky sort of like, oh, well, he's going to be your new assistant, but he doesn't really completely believe everything that's happening here. Because Chan can like, is a demon hunter that only traps in his magical book the demons that are bad. Yeah. The, the demons who aren't totally bad, who are they, just mischievous, like Loki-ish, he keeps around as personal assistants. Yeah, they, they hang <laughs> out and help him out. Yeah. And, and they're, of course, all adorable. And the... <laughs> so, it's really hard to explain this movie because the plot is kind of crazy. It's very scattershot and it's very out there. The CG is mixed, as it always is in, this, in these of Chinese course. movies. Yeah. Although, I will say that it's mixed, but it's... The style, the, it's stylistically the same throughout. So even though it's iffy, it feels right for the universe. And it ends up being a surprisingly moving story about uh, basically love that's lost and changing priorities. And I really enjoyed this movie. It is goofy. There's some action sequences that are legitimately inventive. There's one with Jackie Chan and a mirror demon where he gets stuck halfway bit. in the mirror universe. That's a that fun bit. Was le- just, it was hilarious. It was well, great Jackie this Chan. This movie really is helped by the presence of Jackie Chan yeah. being involved, who did not direct this, mind you. No. Uh, it, it's listed as the Jackie Chan picture, which is weird because usually they only use that when Chan himself is directing. But he is the arguably the primary star of the film. And Chan's getting old, although he still looks great. 
And he's, I, I'm pretty sure they de-aged him with CG in this but movie. The, he's well, they did right in the beginning because yeah. there's an early scene where he's younger, supposed to be younger. But like, it has the flavor of Jackie Chan comedy to it, which is desperately needed in this type of genre. Yeah. And has never really been done well before this that I've ever seen. Like, they try it, and it's always like, this isn't really working. And Jackie Chan's particular style of wink-wink, stunt-laden comedy really fits comfortably into this genre when it's done for children like this. Oh, and, and the, the spirits are all visually interesting. And yeah, even if it's not great characters. CG, they're cool looking. Yeah, I, mean, the, the, there's a, I think people who like Pokemon a lot will like this. Yeah, I, I'd agree. There's a pig demon who is in love with a donkey and it wants to marry it. Yeah. And it was kind of one of my favorite characters. <laughs> I mean, I'm not as in love with this as you are. I still find it like it's hitting all the same tropes I've seen in so many of these fucking things. It's just better because it's not taking itself even faintly seriously. It's, Although Jackie Chan's not up to doing the level of stunts he used to be, he's having some other actors do the stunts, oh. and it's clear he's involved in the choreography of said stunts you know, and stunt I, action. I, I hate to lean on this, but I think it's my Papa Bear status that did the movie for me, because I can see if you're someone who doesn't have kids and you're in your 20s and you're watching the great Wuxia movies, watching this and going, oh, this was okay, it was slight and fun, and okay, cool, but... Being able to watch this kind of movie in a format that I can show my children and yeah. I can watch with them, like, that has a lot of appeal to it. And yeah, being able that. to watch a movie made for my children that is not just a total slog is always a reward. Then I birthday bequeath this Blu-ray to you. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was going to sell it, to be honest. Oh. <laughs> I was like, I liked it, but I'm probably never going to watch it again. So, Although I will say... Uh, it's now it, yours. Even though it's a kid's movie, the story does get... A little dark and intense towards the end to a I mean, point where really. I, I was having some like, okay, yeah, so these characters are choosing to die now and then this is happening <laughs> kind of conversations. Well, there's not, no extras, so nothing to feature, feature there. Our next movie is Edge of the Axe. It is a Arrow re-release uh, of a 1988 slasher film. Directed by Spanish director Jose Ramon Larraz, who normally didn't do films like this, so this was kind of an odd film for him. But uh, why don't you tell the plot of this one? Oh, God bless the plot. Um, I'm trying to sit here and see if I can put it back together. Uh, so, basically, like any kind of horror film uh, of this era, you have a bunch of... Randy teenagers going through small town summer life. Um, uh, character, uh, sorry, women are starting to be murdered in scenes that aren't terribly graphic but are still visually interesting. And it mainly follows uh, a guy who is essentially an orphan who's living with a man and is really into computers. A girl who he is romantically interested in, and then his really pervy buddy who has married the local rich old lady and is trying desperately to bone anything with two legs in the proper orifice. And we're <laughs> watching these characters make their way through small town life as they try to find purpose while talking about the random murders that are occurring over town. And it's a very traditional slasher film. In, in to, some to ways. A, to a point that it plays almost like somebody is making a satire 
of traditional satire, uh, traditional slasher films, which sounds like a dig against it, but it's really not. Because <clears throat> the movie's pace works relatively well. The characters, even though they're paint by the numbers, characters are really inter- not interesting, but they are played. <laughs> they're, they're played well. Uh, and it's over the top in enough right places that this is the kind of movie that you put on and watch with your buddies and have a couple of beers. Like, it's a great bad movie night movie. I mean, it's not Because you can see that they tried very well t- to make, like, a legitimately great movie. It's not even... It's it's not bad. It's definitely one of those films that real effort was put in, yeah. put into to try and make a film that was you know I mean it's eighty eight. Well, there 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 there's the classic slasher error is already I, over I, that they they're 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 taking from a lot of stuff including stuff that is like the twist ending stuff which this is one of oh god yeah so like I've gone on record as saying I think the best bad movie night movies are movies where they legitimately tried to make a great movie samurai Cop. and just for one reason or another just things didn't the work answer out. is samurai cop. <laughs> <laughs> um, there are a couple of weird idiosyncrasies that this movie has. First of all, uh, for a genre that is famous for having copious amounts of female nudity, for those out there, there isn't any, even though there's a lot of setups for sex scenes. And right. like, I, I never felt it went so far as being lascivious. It, it wasn't. It was just there was a setup. Like, oh, these characters are going to go in another movie, on a boat ride and they're going to go have sex. That's why they're doing it. would have been a scene that was only there to have nudity. Yeah. And, and instead they just don't have that. And... The movie gets a little weird when it starts. I, I can tell you the moment that I kind of fell for this movie and I started to really enjoy it, which is when a secondary character, the romantic interest, at the midpoint of the movie, turns and reveals to the main character that when she was young, she had Munchausen by proxy syndrome, mm-hmm. where, like, basically she was convinced that things were bad with her. And so therefore she became sick and it just gets weirder and weirder from there. And the main character invents the internet so that the two can talk <laughs> over the computer. Pretty much. <laughs> and like there's a lot of stuff that in retrospect, just make this a really silly, goofy movie. It's, it's not terribly special, to a point that I like happens with Arrow videos. Occasionally, I'm like, I wonder why they're putting this out and putting so much love and care into this. But this isn't like some of the really weak ones that they've put out. Sometimes this is this is a legitimately fun yeah, watch. If, if you are genuinely a big fan of classic slashers, this is just different enough yeah. to catch your attention. It, you, this has never been my favorite genre of horror. Uh, but even with it, I was like, look, there's some decent kills here. It's really telegraphed where this thing is going with all the, with our being very savvy of the history of this sure. type of horror. But like, hey, I, I was legitimately surprised by the twist on twist on twist ending of this movie. <laughs> I, I, I was not. <laughs> I, I, think I, I think I know how to put it. If you're the kind of horror film who actually knows what the burning is and have seen it. You'll probably like this movie too. I was telling this funny. <laughs> I was telling my wife Courtney earlier today. I was like, "Man, I think Aaron might literally be the sweetest, kindest human being that I personally interact with on a regular basis." And I feel kind of terrible that every time I hand him, a, he's reviewing a new stack of digital noise titles. I can feel bits of his soul. <laughs> 
dissolving uh, in the air of what makes him kind and beautiful as I make him watch all this sick and twisted so, shit. Uh, <laughs> this is not the movie that did that. Okay. We'll get to that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, this being... I will say that, like, um, I like the... The computer part of this is the part that made me laugh and enjoy this the most because yeah, it's so ridiculous. It's so fun. It's like, but, it's like what the hell? And, yeah. and everyone always makes fun of him. Like, what the hell is wrong with you? You're into computers, you nerd. I, I don't think this is for anyone but the hardest of hardcore like fans of 80s slashers who want something like a little bit off the beaten path. Uh, it's certainly better than a lot of the recent Arrow releases of slasher yeah. films that have been coming out, but I don't think this is a must-see no, or anything. it's not. Uh, but there are special features here. There's two commentaries, one with le- the lead actor, Barton Falks, another with uh, a podcast called The Hysteria Continues. Hey, Arrow, why don't you call us to do a commentary? Seriously. There's an image gallery and a newly filmed interview with actor uh, uh, Barton Falks with supporting player Paige Mosley and special effects makeup artist Con Arthur, who also worked on Conan the Barbarian. This comes with a reversible sleeve with original and new artwork by Justin Osborne. And if you get the first pressing, it's got a collector's booklet with new writing by Amanda Rays about this. So Arrow, once again, putting together a solid package for a film that would never have occurred to anyone else (laughs) in the world to put together a solid package. Yay, Arrow. Uh, next up, we're going a little indie with A Feast of Man. I say a little indie. This is about as indie film. Oh my as god, this get. is somebody's college thesis film. Just it, admit it. it. Admit it. It, it kind of is. Um, and I forget who there was something else, and I want to say this was Indie Picks Films as well. We reviewed something else recently. It may have been with John, not you. I don't remember. That was another tiny, super low budget indie film like this that we were like. Man, it's one of those films that's very flawed, but ultimately you're like, man, you guys got fucking chutzpah. I like what you were going for. It didn't totally work, but nice try. This film, not so much. You know, uh, have you ever seen the film with Jason Alexander called The Last Supper? I have. Okay, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Where a bunch of rich guys find a person they feel like deserves not to live and they kill and eat them like once a year or something. Uh, That movie isn't good either, but it makes this cannibalism movie look like that's a masterpiece. Well, I I go back to this is a college thesis project. Uh, You can tell that... And I haven't done any research, so I really hope what I'm going to say is accurate. But uh, you can tell that this was written and directed by a guy who has some ideas, he has some talent, but he doesn't have a lot of experience under his belt yet. The actors, for the most part, are okay to but bad. It, it, it's, but it suffers from the same thing that other film I was talking about, this thing that I think takes a certain level of experience as a director to do, which is to have characters that... Actors that don't feel like they're just reciting lines. Yeah. There's no naturalism here at all. Nope. Not even a bit. There's one actress who I think did a decent job, and that's the French lady, and that might just be because... So what's the she, plot? She's the only character who isn't just her character... I'm finishing my point oh, sorry, first. Sorry, sorry, sorry. She's the only person who her character defining trait is not she's an asshole. And, and by the way, and uh, so, let's just say, they play up that character... Like so she hard. is Monica back, like Monica, Monica Bellucci. Bellucci. Yeah, like she's so sexy, it's unbelievable. And she's, it's not that she's not pretty. She's very pretty. She's just not Monica Bellucci. She's just not like the person <laughs> so, they wish that she was. <laughs> so, so basically, uh, the movie begins with the news reporting on the death of the son 
of a wealthy one percenter. Um, and so with this son's death, they're going to read his will and they gather together all of his closest friends and apparently his lover, the French lady, um, which is his buddy who I thought was the attorney, his actual best friend who spends a lot of the movie in pajama pants with money on them. And that tells you everything you need to know about him. What? I'm his, wearing that right now. His ex-girlfriend uh, and her fiance, who is so aggressively assholishly <laughs> liberal that I thought his character was joking for the first 10 minutes until I realized, <laughs> no, he's just an asshole. And then his ex-lover, who was the aforementioned French lady. There's a couple of extra characters who show up, but they are minor. Yeah. And, and so... Although I will say the one character who who's like a local, like, forestry person... Yeah. Has... Is featured in a scene that is so uncomfortable and unlikable in this film that it practically torpedoes the entire I fast forwarded through that bit. It practically torpedoes the entire So thing. all of these characters are got together in the son's mansion, which is really the local kind of plantation home and whatever city uh, Although every in. interior scene and is like, this is clearly just some friend yeah, of yours it, it, It's just some random house that's falling <laughs> apart outside whenever you see through the windows the ceiling. But they're told that they have to spend a couple of days here and they will be gifted through the will, I think a million dollars a pop. A million dollars a piece. Yeah. A, it's a lot of money, but Dude, it's I'd do not, a lot for a million dollars. The condition, though, is that they have to eat his corpse. I will eat you right now for a million dollars. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> and the idea of the movie is that this is a controversial event. And okay, Chris, I thought was messaging something to me, but he is now currently fondling my relatively just, rotund thigh. I'm checking the marbleization. You know, Chris, I'm, we fucking just talked about a TV show about this. I'm trying to find a good cut. Consent. Consent. <laughs> I have not said it's okay. My body, my rules. It's true. <laughs> I, I, to be fair, no one has yet offered me a million dollars to eat. So, you, so. Basically, the idea is that <laughs> Damn the, it. the pressure of this decision unravels all of these friends over the course of a couple of days. The problem is, is that to a T, they're all terrible human beings, except for the French lady who... Who is also a terrible human being. Is she? Yeah. I missed it. No, I, she's bad. Okay, cool. Yeah. Then they're all just horrible people. And like, it, the it's, movie it's, ends on a gotcha. It's a bet of them like arguing but, about whether or not they should do this. And, like, ultimately, most of them are like, yeah, of course we're going to do this, with people making token arguments against it. And no one is likable. And it ends on a gotcha that's stupid, and it goes nowhere from there. And I kind of fucking hated the whole thing. I This shouldn't have been released. This should have been something that he showed his friends and family and investors so that he could use this to get some money to make something that was decent. This should never have been released. Nice thesis. Yes. Not a a releasable film. Uh, We'll move on very quickly from there to a film that was released. uh, In fact, I believe at Fantastic Fest, Wrinkles the Clown. I did not see it at Fantastic Fest. This was at Fantastic Fest because I avoided this shit like the plague. Because you've got colorophobia. made me watch this. Yeah, you've got uh, not just one clown movie this week. There's a bunch. Actually, uh, thanks to the It franchise, I'm kind of over clowns. Am I healing you? Like I've kind of at a point where I'm still terrified of them, but I can deal with them. All right. So Wrinkles, Wrinkles the, Clown. the Clown is a documentary 
about the guy who literally started the whole thing that if you're an internet person and follow news stories and viral stories, there's been a spate over the past couple of years of mysterious clowns yeah. appearing in small towns that it, are it, super creepy and people are freaking out I about wanna, them. I want to say it started in late 2015, early 2016. Right. It's very recent. Yeah, because it was when the election was going on because it was about the newest, the Ryan Murphy season of, or the Trump season of... American Horror Story even touched on this because it was such a thing. So this is a documentary about the the clown that this started, that. started with, with a viral video online of this little girl going to sleep on like a trundle bed and the, sh- the, 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 the shelf underneath it opens up after <coughs> she's asleep and a clown comes out of it and starts basically like, like staring. Being at her. creepy. Yeah. And people flip the fuck out about it. So then there was this sort of release of like, I'm a real clown. I'm wrinkles, the clown. And I will show up and harass. I will show up and scare your children into being good. (sighs) If you pay me, which that's about the first 20 minutes of this documentary is going into that and how that impacted the culture and parents, uh, choosing to use that service. And like, you hear a lot of phone messages of a parent calling wrinkles, the clown and the kids screaming in the background. Yeah. And let me unequivocally say, fuck every single parent who does that. You are a bad parent. Agreed. But I would have been one of the kids who was calling like, wrinkles themselves. Yeah, that's who was like too. a little morbid kid who was like, uh, what's going on, Wrinkles? What's it? What's your deal? I kind of want to. Will you come and visit me? I kind of want to see your deal. I was like a Scooby kid, man. Dude, I, I was like, I would have been like, I want to know what's going on with this clown. The first show up with this creepy mask and black balloons. And here's the thing, though, about this documentary that at first I'm like, okay, this is not anywhere near as interesting a story as I was hoping it was going to yeah, be. Because I heard it was. Phenomenal. Well, it was like, I'm watching, I'm like, and so they're doing a thing with the guy who's clearly a really old guy who lives in an RV, and they're always showing him kind of like from an angle you can't quite see his face. And they're like, no, 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 I don't want, because people who will, like, I mean, a lot of people are so mad at wrinkles, they'll attack me. Yeah. I don't want you to see my yeah, face. Yeah, he lives in a van down by the river, yeah. literally. Who's like, <laughs> got this whole phone message set up for people to call him and everything. And the film at the top of the third act does a complete. I've never seen a documentary do a t- meta twist in my life. You know, I think that the Banksy doc did one at the end. But not a meta but twist. you're right. Yeah. Where it's like, like, there are twists where it's like, oh, this is part of the actual story that's exciting that when this happened, this is a twist in the way that the sh- film is yeah. made. And where it goes, everything we've told you before is a lie. Here is the actual story. Yeah. And it... Blew my mind. <laughs> it, it immediately turned this documentary from, like you said, one that was, it was frustrating, it was aggravating, because again, shitty parents, but it was okay into, this is a captivating and mind-blowingly interesting story. I get it. I had the opposite reaction. Really? Yeah, because I went, so what the fuck is the actual story? Yeah. It's revealed that almost every character in this thing... There's a thing about them that changes what everything you've been told. And I go, so we basically didn't just watch a documentary. Yeah. And I went, so what, what is the actual story? (laughs) You watched an interesting story is what you watched. Uh, But I watched an interesting fake story. Yeah. And I went, 
That'd be fine if that's what this was sold as. It's still being sold as a documentary, and it's not really up until the last maybe 15 minutes of it. I will say you're right. I could have used... I I wanted an additional 10 to 15 minutes of... While the care... The... Everyone involved is still very much going under the idea of anonymity when you find out what's really going on. Um, But I, I would have liked a little bit more... This is the truth of the matter because this, when you start looking at that, that was that was the really interesting part. But I wanted to see more of how the cultural impact of Wrinkles the Clown and this clown became a thing. They worked their way into TV shows. I, I would have liked to have seen more about that. Yeah, uh, the reality of it. Because well, they- you know what I wanted? I wanted them to flip it. I wanted them to spend twenty minutes talking about the fake narrative and then the rest of it being the truth. You know what I got where this film really started to grab me is a moment before the twist where they start talking about all the imitators and that those people were fucking creepy as shit. And we still don't know who they are. And I was like, make this documentary start shifting onto the investigation into that. That's honestly what I thought this was about. I was I invited a friend to watch this movie and I was telling him that's what it was because yeah. that's what I thought this was. Yeah, the documentary about the entire phenomenon. <laughs> yeah. And that that part, the after effect of Wrinkles is a very small part of this film, but it's the honestly only truly creepy part yeah, of this but, film. But I will say, though, that twist is still phenomenal. I even messaged you. It was like, this is like the best twist of the year. It made me <laughs> laugh out loud. But when I was sitting thinking about the whole film, I'm like, I kind of would have rather seen a film that had you know, taken itself seriously. It was funny. When the needle dropped on it uh, and they pulled back the artifice, my immediate reaction was, wait, no, what? Like, how do all those people feel about what you're revealing about them now? Right. Because we, oh, oh, that, okay, cool. So the, <laughs> there is a real reason to not watch this on VOD and, and to get the home release. There are deleted scenes that people are saying are well worth seeing here. There, there are only five and a half minutes of it, but there's angry parents calling wrinkles about their children getting called back, which of course she would be because he would call the people leave messages on his voice machine. And then some of them he would call back, including kids, which he was not being creepy with on the phone. He would no. actually be at least as far as the version we saw, like very friendly to them. Uh, their kids putting together their, their battle equipment to, to take <laughs> on wrinkles. The, a super fan gets a, gets a, a piece of uh, artwork and then, Wrinkles gets a lap dance with all the kids in the room while it's happening. Yeah, I know. The face Aaron is making right now, I wish that you guys could see. It's Papa Bear turning against the movie instantly. (laughs) Well, let's go on and talk about the other clown movie we have this week, which I liked actually much better, and I'm sure you didn't, which is Gags the Clown. (laughs) Why do you think I didn't like this movie? Because I know you. Uh, I actually did not dislike this movie. You I have, didn't like it as much as Wrinkles, though. Um, no, actually, I did. Okay, oh, really? Okay, all right. Well, Gags the Clown is a narrative horror. So film. It, it, it is the narrative equivalent of Wrinkles the Clown because it's obviously inspired by the same events. Yeah, it's, this it's is, exactly. This is clearly, inspired. somebody saw that kerfluffle going on and went, "This is a movie." Let's make it. I can't, and, I can't believe there aren't seven of these. And so what it is, it's a relatively narrativeless found footage movie pieced together from multiple different sources yeah. um, that 
takes the idea of what if those clowns that were showing up were all real and planned and actually doing something. And so there is a town that is gripped by panic in the beginning of the movie. Everyone is freaking out. One of the storylines that is followed is a reporter who is doing a bit on the gags, the clown news. Uh, uh, it was the equivalent of wrinkles. The clown. Yeah. The equivalent yeah. of wrinkles, the clown. There's another character who is a far right Rush Limbaugh-esque podcaster who is clearly just drumming up his racist, evil white people uh, audience. There's who, who the cu- movie makes a point of playing out over it goes that this guy is a big fucking yeah. fake. Um, although, actually, I liked his character. It was interesting. Um, the, the, there's okay. a couple of characters who are high school kids who are like, <laughs> this is funny, let's fuck around and have fun. And... The movie very quickly reveals that unlike the real life where this was just a bunch of people kind of having a lark, these clowns are actually mystical. They're actually killing people. And I think like the movie opens with someone getting killed by one of them. And it is very much a super, like you said, a supernatural one. These aren't real people. There's something going on. I like that it starts with the assumption that this is just some dickhead who's trying to be a dickhead. The same way wrinkles starts where it's like, this is just some asshole who's, who's, trying to freak people out and everybody's like, that's how they feel about it. And it's slowly revealed that no, there's something dark and supernatural about this happening. And this is played for laughs, certainly, but not in a absurdist way. Really. It's more played for laughs in an almost weirdly kind of a meta way to Lynch. Yeah. You know, it gets surreal in a Lynchian way, but they're not good enough directors to pull off what Lynch well, does really well when he's getting creepy or even Cronenberg. Uh, it's, it's going for that and it succeeds it in, def- in being totally not the film you think it's going to be. And I feel like being much more interesting than the film you think it's going to be. Agreed. And, and like, I, I enjoyed when it started getting into the body horror and started stitching together an actual narrative. And the reason why I like the, the racist white supremacist podcaster is because like you say that over the course of the show, he becomes kind of like a pansy, but that's not really it over the course of the show. As he's being put in positions where the, the white racist asshole would do white racist things. He's like, no, I can't fucking do that because then I'll go to jail. Yeah. I'm not dumb. Uh, like I, he ended up being just a guy. Yeah. He was doing um, it for numbers. Yeah. And so like the, the, the individual sequences of this movie, I thought really worked. Uh, what kind of where, where it lost it for me was in trying to stitch together an overall narrative. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't quite, you don't, they don't really do anything. They like, never like, they find a way to na- lot. They never find the way to like make the landing. No, like work. The, 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 they, they set they up a lot of. Get there. They, they set up a lot of interesting stuff. A lot of interesting um, mythology to the clowns. Yeah, and then never really pay it off. And, and like the movie ends on a gag. It's a great gag that could have been ten seconds shorter that we all saw coming, but it's still a gag. And it, it could have used another 10 to 15 minutes yeah. of let's play this out and let's show more of what actually is occurring here, even going full tilt into the supernatural. But as it is, it, it just kind of feels like 
they had a great idea with no real idea how to finish it. No, I agree with you. And I think it's a shame because there's so much good stuff to actually yeah. like here. Yeah. And I'm not usually the biggest fan of these sort of aggregate found footage films like this, but... It really does feel organic the way they put together the different types of found footage here into a thing. And I love that it's not just like one group of people. It's all these different stories that are sort of coming together. Yeah, totally disparate. It's fun to watch. And the clown is and what they do with the clown and his creepiness is genuinely creepy. And there are parts that are genuinely funny. And it never really completely pays off yeah. as much as you want it to. Yeah, like, like, like I, I like this movie. It's just it's okay. Yeah, if you enjoy horror, if you enjoy found footage horror, and if you like clown movies, I would recommend this. But if you're not into one of those niche areas, eh, probably not your cup of tea. Uh, there, the, this was a expansion of a short film, and the original short film is included here. There's a feature commentary with the filmmakers. There's Gags, Terror Surrounds You, which is a 360-degree short film. <laughs> There's a storyboard comparison of the ending. There's a VFX comparison featurette, a, uh, a cast mannequin challenge video that you'll have to as well as with the doorbell cam production video, you'll have to see to understand. And the gag's real. Uh, I honestly, like I said, this is one of those movies that I think is going to find a fan base. I agree. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised to see a follow-up. I, you know what? I, I'd be down for it as long as they pull a rec to and like just explain everything, but make it batshit Ma- insane. Make it even crazier. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to our next film, which is a movie that from the trailer I went, ooh, I really want to see that, The Shed, and the actual execution is fucking terrible. I have different opinions. Ooh. Uh, I did not like this movie at all. And usually, a feature, like, I have liked what uh, Shudder has been doing with their feature length originals overall. Not everything, but overall. But this is, was to me. An embarrassing undersight of a film. So, I think this was a great idea ruined by a small budget. Um, the <sighs> the movie begins with the biggest named actor in the movie, who I can't think of his name off the top of my head, and it's not on the back of the the disc, but he's a comedian who usually plays kind of weaselly guys and he gets bitten by a vampire in the opening sequence of the movie. The vampire promptly falls into the sun and immediately disappears. And he, while struggling to find a place to hide from the sun, because here you instantly turn into a vampire. It was Frank uh, Whaley. By Frank way. Whaley. He finds his way into a shed where he holds out for the day. Which is when we switch to our actual main character, who is your average teen who had a great life until his parents, through various tragic circumstances, died. And he's now with his shitty, abusive grandfather. And lo and behold, he gets beaten up by everyone at school and he finds a vampire in his shed. What do you do? Although, to be fair, he's not really beaten up by everyone at school so much as, like, his best friend is beaten up by everybody at school. And he is also considered a freak, but he's the freak who won't take it. So he's kind of a, no, go fuck yourself. You want to fight? I'll fight you. He's the rebel. Yeah, he's the rebel, but he's the rebel who's not a dick. He's Heath Ledger in 10 Things I Hate About You. He's the rebel who who is not a loser or a dick, but hasn't found his people yet. And so the movie ends up being... And his best friend is basically Evil Ed from Fright Night. 
So, so the movie ends up being a small scale thriller where he's trying to deal with the the flesh eating monster that's hiding in his shed in increasingly escalating violent sequences as people around him start to die or get killed off by the vampire itself. How do you deal with it? What do you do? And he, like a friend does in high school, involves his best friend, who is apparently a sociopath killer, He's who is like, you know what we should do? We should get all the people who kick my ass and trick him into there so this vampire murders them. And the movie ends up playing out as a how-do-you-handle-the-situation thriller with him trying to figure out the responsible, right, good thing to do on one hand, and his friend trying to do the horrible sociopathic thing on the other. And then there's a hot girlfriend just kind of thrown about in the midst. Sure. I found myself deeply disliking so many things about this film. So, Especially in the wildly weak and implausible series of events third act. Okay. That, <laughs> you're not wrong. So I, I think this movie has two fundamental problems. One is that they waste the big name actor. Um, you'd think with him being a brand new turned vampire, him dealing with his vampirism is going to be part of the plot, especially with a relatively decent um, lesser known B actor involved. Nope. The vampire is a monster who does not utter a single line of dialogue after that opening sequence and it wastes him completely. Yeah. And it, that's it may a not even be move. Frank Whaley after that initial I, I, sequence. It's not. It's, it's not. Probably not. Uh, and then the third act falls apart dramatically. Like from a scripting phase, from a budgeting phase, from a directing uh, aspect. It is just a mess. Like, I know I keep mentioning Fright Night because this movie wants to be Fright Night. Not exactly Fright Night, but the tonally it wants to be, to have that mix between horror and comedy. And it's an abject failure at trying to be that film. It's clearly, despite never saying the time, supposed to be somewhere in the 80s. They're sure. using cassette tapes. No one has cell phones. What have you. It never says. But uh, people are wearing flannel so late 80s maybe i just i found so much stuff including character interactions into this deeply distasteful and not funny i don't think there's a single moment in this when they're trying to be funny that was funny see i i was into the first two acts and it was when it got into that third act that it fell apart for me and like the girlfriend randomly becomes a badass uh, warrior goddess lady and yeah, which I characters. Of, like, well, it, it made she sense. Just, it, it it didn't build to it. It's yeah. just abrupt. Yeah. Um, there's lots of small, big actors in here where you're like, oh, that person. Yeah. Which was kind of fun. And honestly, I disagree with Chris. I think the acting and the plotting, for the most part, was good until that third act. Like this is an entirely passable small budget horror film that almost could have been a really good horror film to me. Well, let's move on to three big wide releases. Uh, one of which we've covered on highly suspect reviews, two of which we did not, but I'm anxious to talk about, but the first, we'll start with the one we did cover on highly suspect reviews that Aaron is dying to fucking talk about. <laughs> and that is Joker. I remember when you, we were talking about it at first when you saw it, I think in the theater, right? Uh, I, I, I saw a screener and was, I remember reaching out to you and going, I loathe this movie. Loathe. I, Let me be clear. He said loathe. That is the word I use. Okay. I 
hated the Joker. And just so, Joker. Just Joker. Just Joker. Yeah. Is it just it people, is just Joker? I keep seeing people refer to it as the Joker, Whatever. and I'm like, it's just Joker. It doesn't, that doesn't matter. It bothers me. <laughs> and so in when, when Chris important. handed it to me, it was like, yeah, Aaron, you don't have to watch it. I know how you feel about it. Just watch the special features. And I was like, no, I I feel <laughs> like I, I I need to watch it again. Like, I, I it deserves a fair shake. And so, like, the first time I saw that movie, I, I went through the entire thing very much thinking about what the film was trying to say with what they were doing. So I ended up, in a sense, reviewing the message, not the movie. Mm -hmm. This time, instead, I sat down and I watched it with my wife. Specifically, she's a lady. That's where a lot of the controversy behind the scenes is involved. And so I was like, I want you to be here because I want your take on this movie. And lo and behold, I kind of loved this movie on rewatch which um, i you said that right when you came in today and i was like really yeah shocked so to hear what a complete 360 or 180 turnaround that is so so what i ended up really appreciating this time it, it was basically watching this as a walking phoenix movie like he was who i was spending the entire time watching and <sighs> Watching him slowly take on the ticks and the attributes that define the Joker in my mind was a lot more involving of a story, like like watching the story and the character versus watching what the filmmakers were trying to say. I, I still I, I have a lot of issues with the message that is being applied to this movie, whether or not that was intentional. I have a ton of issues with how the cast and crew reacted to the reception this movie got. Yeah. I, I think they kind of shit the bed with it. Um, but I still think this was a fascinating story. Like, like There are a couple of moments throughout where you can watch Arthur Fleck become that Joker. Like, like, like he, he, There's a scene relatively early on where he through an act of self-defense, murders some people. And watching that not as a, oh, this is tragic, this is a man who has mental issues, who's giving into violence and is being rewarded for it, instead watching it going, this is a man becoming who he was meant to be, his best self, even if it is a horrible sociopathic murderer, that was a far more rewarding journey. Okay, I, I still... I have a lot of issues with the overall arc of the Joker becoming a hero to the people, which you had a point that the, the movie isn't necessarily saying this is a good thing. And, and my wife had an excellent point, which she doesn't see it as the Joker was the hero to the people and this improved him. She saw it as this is a movement that needed somebody and the movement pulled the Joker along more than the Joker was pushing the movement. And like, like both of those takes uh, it made me even soften on the part that bothered me about the film. But like, I, I came into this going, I fucking hate this movie and came out of it going, I still don't think that it deserves best picture, but I think it's Todd Phillips is 
easily best film. I think maybe I can see the cinematography award. And honestly, this might crack my top 10. It might have edged out Endgame. I think people completely misunderstood the message part of this film and are looking for things that were never supposed to be intended here, are taking the part of it that is dealing with this toxicness and totally misunderstood the film yeah. end of this film as celebrating it as opposed to intended to create a sense of horror yeah at people celebrating it which seemed really clear to me when i watched it but obviously i'm mean, you're far from the only person i know who didn't feel that way immediately that it was too ambiguous i think it doesn't help the fact that todd phillips is kind of a dickhead in well that's life, the problem is that not known how to talk about his own film todd phillips has been very publicly saying everything he could to support the idea that this movie is a stalwart celebration of toxic masculinity oh, i don't agree with that i think <laughs> just he himself is not maybe into toxic masculinity, but is just kind of a dick. Sorry, let me rephrase that. I'm not saying that he's going, no, this movie is about toxic masculinity. I'm saying that when people have come to him about that, he's responded in about the worst way you can without being actually truly offensive Fair. and horrible. But it just, And like Joaquin Phoenix has not really helped it either. Yeah. Neither of them have done right by this movie. Joaquin Phoenix has never had much interest in doing press for a sure. True, fair. Which, which is exposed by the bonus features here, yeah. which are largely Joaquin <laughs> <music>, Phoenixless <laughs> music videos. <laughs> well, uh, there's one on there's one on there that I actually thought was kind of legitimately right. so interesting. There's Joker, Vision, and Fury, which is 22 and a half minutes. That's the which one. Actually, follows with real interviews. It's the only proper and extra it, feature, honestly, because the rest of them are just collections of images set to music, yeah. which are not bonus features. Like they're just like meditations by an editor. Well, it, it, <laughs> but it's it's a really good one. It, it while watching that movie, it kind of changed how I saw the Joker. Even watching Todd Phillips talk about the writing process and directing it, working with Joaquin Phoenix, and even admittedly, it was a little defensive and obviously targeted at the heat they got going on about how as a comedic director, once you make a certain amount of name for yourself that way, it's really difficult to make other kinds of films. Sure. And like, that was an actual interesting bonus feature, which is something I don't see a lot on DVDs now. Okay. I mean, I, I feel like I do, but this was a surprise because I watched all the other ones first where I was like, are you fucking kidding me? This is just a music see, video. Th that was the one that I watched and it was like, and it's 2 a.m. I got to go to bed. <laughs> I genuinely think Joker is a really good film. I think its biggest problems are when it ties into the DC universe. I think when it tries to connect itself to Batman, it's awkward and makes the whole thing. It's organicness that really feels real of this being a real human being, a troubled human being. It just dissolves into, oh yeah, this is a comic book thing again. And I don't know, obviously don't have a problem with comic book things or even comic book things being taken realistically, but it happens so infrequently that it's just distracting yeah. when it happens. You know, I, I, there's one particular one that I'm not going to go into because it's at like the very tail end, which you're right. I, I felt kind of that same way. I, I might come around on it, but it was off-putting. However... I ended up really liking this version of Thomas Wayne, who's kind of a rich asshole. Uh, Which is to say, 
Bruce Wayne's dad. Yeah, because all previous incarnations of Thomas Wayne I've ever seen, aside from Flashpoint where he is Batman, he is he is a saint. He he is a living saint who is throwing his money down the drain trying to save a city that hates him and like he is a martyr as a character i believe there has been uh, elseworlds at the base where he was a total prick and like watching this this is an entirely believable thomas wayne to me where on a personal level he's a prick but he's still donating money left and right and i can totally buy this thomas wayne in 20 30 years people going no he was he was an amazing human being who changed lives but bruce wayne and the people in the know were like no he was a hard-ass asshole who just he made a lot of money and spent it well the last thing i want to say about this is if you're one of those people who hates this movie either a you haven't actually seen it you just heard some of the internet pre-release buzz about Oh, watch out. It's going to encourage toxic masculinity. I go, grow up and just fucking watch the movie like an adult and be able to separate yourself from, like, stuff from that came out before people had even seen the film yeah. about opinions about it. Just watch it. Try and watch it as a film. Two, if you're somebody who had the initial first release response like you do did, look at the huge variance of responses from really serious people out there who have gone there is so much to like here and go maybe i need to give this a second shot uh, maybe it's a film that requires two viewers i I even like on on our review here there was somebody who kind of was parroting a lot of what i said like me and him were lock and step when we saw this movie i kind of want to go to him and be like look just just try it again if you hate it you hate it that's fine but you might Mm want to give it another shot and try to really experience the movie on its terms instead of your terms. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. That's perfectly said. And three, if you're one of those people who's just like, but the Batman canon, shut the fuck up. There is no Batman canon yeah, when no, it that's comes tough. to adaptations. I, I will say that <laughs> I, I had a large journey to make and being okay with this movie because i'm still in love with the idea of joker as somebody who was a normal guy who had a really bad day uh-huh. and it's it's really weird for me to take that and go no this is somebody who was probably always going to abuse murder or rape somebody and it's just him finding his true self it's it's a it's a film that in terms of performance, in terms of intention, and even in terms of, and God, I hate the whole, like, well, why don't you just watch King of Comedy and Taxi Driver? Dude, those films were made in the early 70s. That was like 40 years ago. This film clearly nods its cap at it, but in no way is it a remake of those films. Yeah, it, That's it's... just childish to even say that. You're like, it's not a remake of those films. It is nodding its hat at it. It wants to be in that in Gotham if Martin Scorsese had made it. And it's I feel like it's direct nods of the hat, which are very direct, are definitely a, we want to be clear, we are definitely trying to do if Scorsese had made this film. <laughs> right? Like, yeah. like, it's a tip of the hat to our influences that's very specific. We don't want people to think we're, it feels like, we want to be clear, we're aware and we want you to be aware that w- these are our influences. 
And I think that's really smart. And instead, people have, I thought, deeply immature in an immature way of going, it's just a ripoff. I'm like, it really isn't. And I feel like maybe it's been too long since you saw I mean, those other films. As someone who, that was my stance the first time I saw this. So I, I get it. But like, it is such a fascinating character piece. And it is. It is. It's. Yeah, just watch it again. Yeah. This, is, this is a great movie. Maybe go back and rewatch Taxi Driver and King of Comedy, and I'm assuming that most of you saying that even actually have seen King of Comedy, like it, which it, I suspect half of the people saying that haven't actually watched that I, movie. I admit I, I couldn't go through King of Comedy. <laughs> it's um, not one of the strongest Scorsese films. Oh, it, it's fair. too awkward. I can't handle yeah. awkward stuff. But uh, well, we got we spent too much time on this. Let's yeah. move on to. The best movie that we're reviewing this uh, week, and that is Jexy. Man, so I saw a trailer for Jexy a while back, and I remember seeing that and going, "That looks like a piece of shit." And it you looks were right, horrible. You were so right. Before I sat down to watch this movie, I, I watched it with my wife, and I was like, "Honey, I got to show you this trailer. Tell me I'm wrong. Is does this not look like a piece of shit?" And it is a unwatchable piece of shit dude it's this is written and directed by john lucas and scott moore who uh are a screenwriting uh and directing team that have done the hangover 21 and over and bad moms two of which i yeah, like i like two of those <laughs> the but <same> too. <laughs> with jexy i'm like they need to be set on fire and put into unmarked right. graves so here's the plot <laughs> in 30 seconds uh, the main character is... So, first of all, this movie is aggressively anti-millennial. Uh, oh, uh, yeah, like, like, wow. Like, yeah. Like, internet meme version. Th- this this is, movie is the internet meme, the well, Facebook meme you know of, how aren't millennials lame? You know how The Purge makes fun of Republicans and the latter two a lot? This is that, but for millennials. Yeah, but the, the, the last main, two are good. Yeah, I like The Purge. I oh. like The Purge. All right. Um, Are you the, saying it's okay to make fun of Republicans no, but not millennials? The, the, the fact that this is anti-millennial is not why this is a bad movie. Fair. Um, so the main character is your token millennial. He's obsessed with his phone. Adam they, Devine. Adam who, Devine. Who, who, I've, been, who I've lately been referring to as the most flamboyant heterosexual alive. I, <laughs> who I actually <laughs> mostly enjoy. He's a flaming um, heterosexual. But... <laughs> <laughs> like, so he, he is addicted to his phone because... Because of reasons that I don't want to get into. His phone breaks. He has to get a new one. And the operating system on the phone is Jexy. An AI. Inexplicably. It's obviously Siri. Yeah. Or it's, Alexa, no, no. Or no it, it's like if Siri and her had a baby. The thing, though... Is that like so? You watch the trailer and you think that this movie is going to be a movie about him having an AI and he tries it and he eventually turns on him and starts going creepy and starts to become more and more hostile and aggressive and vulgar as it becomes kind of the villain of the piece. So all those scenes from the trailer are in the first fifteen minutes of the movie. Yeah, this thing comes out of the gate calling him a fucking asshole. Like it is. So right out of there, I'm like, this is weird. Totally. No, the problem is is that it's a film that wants to both feel like it's being based in the real world and also is making completely absurd, surreal decisions constantly at every turn that no one would ever make. And so, like, his decision, like, I got the new phone. The phone immediately is being, is, like, fucked up and making terrible things. And he regularly doesn't, they're like, oh, but he's really attached to his phone. So you're like... 
No, yeah. no one would put up with that. You'd go to the FBI and, and in this the, scenario. The, the moment I gave up on this movie was about 25 minutes in when he finally goes, you know what, this phone who is insulting every aspect of my life almost got me fired and is doing these horrible things. I'm going to go turn it back in. And Wanda Sykes basically sits there and spends 10 minutes on an act where she makes fun of millennials, yeah. calls him a chicken shit pussy to his face. Which even I, as a, someone who's firmly a Generation Xer, was like, dude, shut the fuck well, up. Well, I was on. like, no human being on this planet can talk like that to a customer and yeah. not get fired. Well, no human so, being would ever talk to somebody like that and not get punched in the fucking face. And so, so that's, again, this is the first half hour of the movie. We have not talked about anything that's not in the first half hour. Yeah. He has meet cute with an anti-telephone granola lady who... Who's played kind of charmingly by Alexandra Ship. Yeah. She's the only likable part of this entire she film. Is. And so he starts to develop a relationship with her at the same time. He kind of starts to develop a physical relationship with his phone. And, and she gets possessive. Let me be clear, the phone, the phone is getting possessive. So that's the weird... This film's already terrible. Yeah. And then the movie makes a twist from being a movie about the phone trying to make this total loser into a better human being makes this odd twist into the phone, oh, wait, is, the a psycho phone is a psycho ex-girlfriend and stalker it, which makes no sense no, it doesn't at all at none all. whatsoever and and it's just like you guys didn't even have an this was this whole thing just the pitch to, to a point did where you get an ai to randomly write this script based on the pitch i legitimately spent <laughs> the last half of this movie convinced that that was all an act and i was like no that's just what it is this is a movie whose sole female character is an actual pretty decent character and who's interesting and nuanced and is still somehow horrendously, horribly sexist because of the phone. Like somehow the phone sets women back. Yeah. And the <laughs> thing like, is that this character, the, the love interest is a person you're like, I would like that person. Yeah. The, I, she's interesting. She's arty. I mean, we don't share all, I, she wouldn't, she wouldn't like me. But I would like her. And, and you're and, like, oh, you're cool. Except you're probably a vegetarian and stuff. So, you know, whatever. That's cool. But uh, like she, uh, <laughs> you know, but you know what I mean? She's a yeah. bike granola hippie. She and I'm like, okay, you're an interesting person, creative person. The other guy is not. He's con The main character played by Adam Devine is such a ridiculous piece of human garbage. Like the, the movie tries to make sympathetic because he just doesn't know any better. <sighs> And anyone who would sit through even one of his social gaffes with him trying to romance her, like, would be like, okay, maybe one. But she sits through, like, 17 of them. Yeah, and they get kind of criminal even. And she's super hot, and you're like, there's no way she would have sat around for this And it's weird, because, like, Adam Devine, like I said, I I think he's actually good in some projects. When he he picks the right project... He's really interesting. As a supporting character. And, but he cannot carry a film. And her, the, the actress, she's really good. And actually, I think, is showing up maybe in New Mutants or something. Yeah, or, she's, or, or Birds of Prey. Is, she's is in something else good. coming out that's about to make it big, I think. Uh, she is. Uh, she played Storm in X-Men Apocalypse, if that's what you mean. Nope. 
Well, that's what it was. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, she also is uh, was in Love, Simon, which was the love interest, which is a good romantic comedy, for the record, uh, which I really liked. Uh, Actually, agreed. I, I thoroughly recommend Love, Simon. Uh, she's Jackson. in Kung <laughs> Fury 2, which, believe it or not, is a thing that's happening. Uh, anyway. No, nope, apparently I was completely wrong. Yeah, I know. That's what I just said. <laughs> Uh, I'm not at all looking her up on IMDb at the same time. Uh, this comes with a 21-minute featurette with film clips, set footage, what have you. Uh, unboxing Jexy, a featurette on the prop of the... F- it says phone prop. I'm like, it's a phone. Does that even count as a prop? Uh, and Rose Byrne doing the voice acting for the character. Uh, filming in Fog City, which is about location she's shooting in San Francisco. Tech... Br- uh, excuse me we're wow. drinking tech bros casting crew talking about what tech bros mean which the main character is a tech bro and phone fixation uh casting crew talking about their own personal phone usage i hope you never have to experience any of this because this is quite frankly one of the worst films of 2019 it's so unex- inexcusably terrible yeah, it is at every turn it is offensively horrible my opinion of every person involved in this movie is a little lesser for it. Yeah, agreed. Our last film is Maleficent, Mistress of Evil. <laughs> and I know you guys are just waiting for me to tear this apart. Sorry. I kind of like this. Okay. This is Maleficent 2. Uh, uh, Angelina Jolie returning to re- portray the title role, who is based, uh, obviously, a live-action adaptation of the villain from Cinderella, the animated Cinderella. Yeah. Uh, I liked the first Maleficent, but wasn't in love with it. I remember it being okay, but confused. I, I was, I was like, look, this is very CG heavy. Angelina Jolie is totally charming in this role. I like where they're going with it conceptually. There's some neat ideas in here. Overall, it's a mess, but a fun mess. And I feel exactly the same way about Maleficent, Mistress of Evil, the sequel. I will agree, except I don't think Angelina Jolie is good in this movie. Okay. Um, so Do it. I, I love it when I record with Aaron, because like, he's just like, I'm going to do the part where we tell the story. I'm like, good. Okay, so the movie begins with Aurora, which I did not know was her name. It's not Cinderella, is it? It's Sleeping Beauty. Sleeping Beauty, I'm sorry. God, Chris, get it right. Who was the villain in Cinderella? Uh, the stepmother. The evil They're stepmother. They're all stepmothers. So was Maleficent, though. Yeah, no, no. Maleficent's a demon. I thought she was the stepmother she, she, in Sleeping she's Beauty. She's a demon sorceress in Sleeping Beauty. She, she is not the stepmother until right, this. I don't know. It doesn't matter. So... Aurora is in love with a character who I'm assuming was not in the first one, who is a prince of a nearby kingdom. Uh, in the movie, the very beginning of the movie, he asks her to marry him. Let's just say Aurora is Ella Fanning, who was yes. in the last film, who was Maleficent's adoptive daughter, who in the story is Sleeping Beauty. Sure. But the idea is that story is bullshit. Here's what actually happened, which is that Maleficent's not so bad and she genuinely loves this girl. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. So, I just want to be clear the premise is yes. set. Because a lot of people didn't even see Maleficent. So, uh, it made uh, money. Um, so, Aurora, she accepts the proposal, and the movie kind of kicks off when they decide to have an engagement dinner. Um, unfortunately, the kingdom that this prince is a lord of happens to border on the Moors, which is the fairy tale kingdom that Aurora is, I guess, kind of the queen of. And. 
Maleficent has to come attend this dinner, which is kind of the catalyzing agent of the entire film because Maleficent hates humans with a fiery passion and the humans hate all fairy folk with a fiery passion. Well, especially yeah. um, Mich- Michelle Pfeiffer. Thank you, Michelle Seriously? Pfeiffer. Yeah, I, I wanted to call her Monaghan. It was weird. I, I'm, I'm tired. It's, it's been fine. a day. It's fine. Um, she's basically Lady Hitler. Um, she's terrible. And she's decides, very, very, she's Lady Trump. She, uh, the film is she, definitely going Trump. Uh, so she decides to use this as an opportunity to roll out her secret Machiavellian plans to genocidally erase the entire fairy population and manipulates a controversy which makes Maleficent look bad and puts the king in a magical slumber. And is going to just fuck everyone up. Even using the same goddamn thing that yep. put Sleeping Beauty originally in a slumber. And so th- that's kind of the setup of the movie, which takes about half an hour. And I hated every second of that. I okay. was really upset with this movie in the beginning. I was mildly, because I was mildly bored. Angelina Jolie has a weird, act, has some weird acting choices. She's in all of ten minutes of this period. And, like It's just a weird-ass opening. But then... Maleficent meets the others of her people, the winged... A thing I did not expect to see happen. There's a thing where, like, she has been, after this dinner, like, there's a plan to deal with Maleficent ahead of time. Because Michelle Pfeiffer is ten steps ahead of everyone. She's Cersei. And has has planned the shit out. She is the evil stepmother. Yes. And has, like, put... Has got super weapons against Maleficent and those and puts Maleficent in a position where it seems like she's dead. But then, you know, I would call it a day. So X Mac and I accept it's not the end of the film. Yeah. It's It's like the middle of the film. First act. That it turns out that she's not the only one of her race, a big horned winged thing. Then she didn't know that. Sure. She had no idea what her origins were. And she gets to meet Chiwetel Ejiofor as like a, another version of her race who, who, is more of the, if we don't work things out with these humans, we're all going to fucking die. Which, let me just say for the record, supernaturally powered winged demon creatures, you're probably going to win this fight in the well, real uh, world. But the, this does suggest that the weapons are so egregious and well-designed by uh, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer that, okay, it's a real fight. Sure. You know? So, yeah. The movie from there follows Angelina Jolie. It's two stories. Angelina Jolie working with her fae people, trying to understand where she comes from, and not knowing whether or not she wants to go kill all humans or find peace. And then it's following Aurora and the prince as they are convinced that Maleficent is an evil, evil person and slowly uncover the conspiracy that um, Lady Hitler is doing. Yeah. So that's the plot. It comes to an, an inevitable battle filled with sound and fury, ultimately signify signifying nothing. nothing. Right. <laughs> and so here's my problem with the movie is at the beginning of the movie and at the end of the movie, I'm relatively certain that not one single character in any way, shape, or form has an arc of any kind. So, like, I can't argue with the fact that the plot is entertaining. It is. The the, the plot is fun. And it hits all the notes that 
in a better movie would be powerful. There is a character death where, like, we're supposed to feel something, but I can't remember the character's name. Ha! And <laughs> well, only because there's eighty billion, you characters. know, or uh, and things like that keep happening, or or at the ends when we're supposed to feel conflicted over whether I don't know the prince's real name is going to help Lady Hitler mother or help Aurora, the clear good guy. It's like, okay, why is there a dilemma here? Man, your mom's (laughs) fucking evil. And, And like, just the whole movie nobody changes and so stuff happens and it just doesn't mean anything i I told you this that like i watched this film and and after i started kind of complaining a little bit about the characters I, i told you this feels like a movie that critics hated and audiences adored uh-huh. because I can just totally see this like as a critic going, fuck this movie. It sucks. It breaks every rule that should. It is a bad story. And then the audience going, man, whatever it was Disney lore. And I got to see big expensive battles. I'm happy. And sure enough, the critic rating of this is 35% on rotten tomatoes, which is the garbage site, but whatever. And the audience rating is 95%. Yeah, I don't want to go quite there. I hate using Rotten Tomatoes for any sort of Yeah, it's of not. It, it was just a, a fun I mean, honestly, little... Honestly, they, they regularly give true-to-life, just absolute garbage films. The audience rating is often like 95% for like Adam Sandler, worst of the worst shit. Like films that are regularly listed on the worst films ever listed still have an audience rating of like yeah. 90%. So whatever. Like, it's obviously not a great metric. Uh, um, but... I will say that I think this film does what it want exactly what it wants to do. It is not a film that's going to stick in your memory, no. but it's a, a I I found eventually I think it wasn't until it got to the second act, but I found very engaging and I found the third act even kind of emotionally engaging. Uh, I did not. I was with it. It gets fucking dark. It does. It gets really fucking dark. Like multiple of the fantasy characters die horribly in this film. And I found myself kind of like going, wow, this is the kind of Disney film that I wanted when I was like 12 when I was starting to turn to darker fantasy stuff that they just weren't making. Like, this is the film for your daughter who has discovered Bauhaus. You know what? Like, who was like, I don't want a fucking happy princess film. I want one with some darker shit going on that celebrates the idea that you can both be apart from the pack be kind of like cynical and like not happy about humanity, but still be a good person. Like I kind of really admire that so, uh, tact of being uh, a, 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 like it's a very subtextual thing, but I'm like, that's there. And I will nobody else that. is doing this. You're right. The, the, that's legit. And, and I don't, I don't mean it to sound like I'm shitting on this movie. Mm. I, I still had fun with it. It's just, it could have been much better. Oh yeah, no, and absolutely true. It, yeah. Like as it is, it is, it is fluff. Yeah. It is interesting fluff that is indeed different from it's, most it's, fluff we yeah, get. It's off the beaten path fluff, but it's still <laughs> fluff. Although yeah. I, I will still say that I I don't think Angelina Jolie did a good job in this movie. I, I think she makes a lot of really weird acting choices in the first act, which was really off putting for me and. 
towards the end when her character starts to actually do something in the story she gets a little more interesting because she has more than like three lines of dialogue but even then i i never bought her as a real character whereas i did not have that problem in the original maleficent film for all that that movie was structurally weird i thought she was good i think she was really into it i think this one was contractually obligated and i don't think she expected this movie to ever be a thing that they would be interested in doing and i think she's still i I don't want to say workman like she's still doing a good job she's just clearly not as invested this time around but i i and this is a, a a big cg fest but the cg is interesting and creatively designed like there's a lot of interesting concepts in a fantasy universe that they've built here there's a lot of stuff that's should be a part of a much better film than it is. And as it is, it's entertaining. And I like that it's for an audience that you don't, Disney doesn't usually make movies for. Uh, If if you have a nine to 15 year old girl or son, either way, nine to 15 year old kid who likes Disney, watch the movie. Well, or especially if they're one who's like shown a tendency to like stuff. That's a little on the more offbeat or darker side. You're like, this is perfect for them. They make a Disney movie with all the right morals and ideas for people who are attracted to the dark side. Yeah. And I'm like, awesome. There should be more <laughs> shit like that. That was me. You know, I'll give you that. That is accurate. <laughs> uh, this Blu-ray uh, comes with a few extra features. They're all just little tiny few minute EPKs. Uh, th- there's even extend the like extended scenes. There's like a minute and a half outtakes, uh, two minutes, which actually I found quite funny. The outtakes of them cracking up, which all are with big green, things behind them uh and there's a music video for you can't stop the girl by baby rexa i don't even know if i'm saying that right because i have no idea what's happening in modern music at all i watched a my my wife made me watch a beyonce live music thing on on uh, netflix the other day and i was like what is going on (laughs) what is happening who are those people why what 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 Beyonce? <laughs> Sorry, I'm not that out of touch. I'm just kidding. Anyway, that's it for this week's Digital Noise. Thank you, Aaron, Wait. who has put in what? I have to ask, though, what was your pick of the week? Oh, we haven't even said that, what the pick of the week is. Um, So, going to... It's going to be Joker. Same here. Yeah. Joker. Yeah. That movie, Wow. Man, look at this list. I'm like, there's a lot of stuff interesting, but man, Joker is just a film that is going to be talked about for decades in terms of love it, hate it, discuss it, change positions on it. Maybe it's not as deep as all that. It's definitely infuriating. It's supposed to be infuriating. People are going to have every kind of take on this film imaginable. And and this transfer is gorgeous it is gorgeous and the audio is perfect it's uh it they spent a lot of money making sure this is as good a possible version that you could get and this is unquestionably the pick of the week agreed sorry to haters yeah but don't worry there'll be another digital noise soon and (laughs) you can pick on us for whatever we love the most then yeah there you go